Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great Christmas break. Uh, welcome to the Gathering Podcast. Um, this episode is one we actually recorded, I guess a few months ago, with our missions director here at the river. And so I'm going to play the audio back. Hope you enjoy it. If you have any questions or want to get more involved in the gathering, give us a follow over on Instagram at thegatheringtn.com. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Charles Spurgeon. St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the word always, use words when necessary. And my seminary professor said, that's like saying feed orphan children and sometimes use food. <laughs> <laughs> Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The goal of today's podcast um, is to hear someone's story who lived these things and does live these things out of seeing people come to faith in Christ who are very far from him and without us going and telling them would probably never hear. And so have a good, my good friend, Heather McAfee here, who is our missions director at the River Community Church and has served overseas for many years um, with the International Mission Board doing various things. And, you know, we have a couple different types of podcasts uh, that we want to release through this Gathering Roundtable podcast. One is kind of more short form podcasts of half an hour, 45 minutes on a specific topic. And then the other kind is a more long-form podcast where we just go through somebody's life and we talk about what their story is. And the purpose of that is so if any of you listening maybe have thought about, is God calling me to be a missionary? Sometimes in the church we always talk about how it's just glamorous and how it's amazing and everyone should do it, and the answer is we are all called to missions, obviously, but it's not all butterflies and rainbows. Hmm. And so to hear someone's story about how God called them, what that process was like going overseas, what being overseas was like, and then coming back, and just all of those things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the challenges that came from that. And so that's what the purpose of this is. So Heather, thanks so much for jumping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm yeah. really glad to be here. We're thankful. Thankful you're here. So um, I think the best place to start to would just be maybe kind of at the beginning, hmm. you know, uh, being a missionary. Was that always like something you wanted to do? Yeah, um, I can remember pretty early and I've told a lot of people, I think where it started, I grew up in Baxter, Tennessee, which if you're here in Cookville, you know that uh, that's just down the road, but still it's the, the small town and uh, felt like Cookville was the big city when I was growing up and I grew up in a little country church and there were maybe 80 people. And my mother was the one who did a lot of the missions education. Mm. And so as a little girl starting in about 
first grade and, and it had started even before there, but first grade is really where I remember we're talking about missionaries and what they do and um, where they are. We're learning about different cultures. We're eating weird foods so that we can kind of understand. And I, the first inkling that I can remember is of wishing that my parents would go and be missionaries <laughs> so that would make me, we called them MKs, missionary yeah. kid. And that's, that's the first that I can remember of that inkling of, I, I wish we could go, but it was an, it was more of a, putting that on my parents so mm. that I could go. Mm. Um, but it just definitely interesting. And oddly enough, as a fifth grader, I had to do some testing with a psychologist for some random reasons. And one of the questions I can remember him asking me is, what did I want to do when I grew up? And that's the first time I ever remember voicing that I wanted to be a missionary, and that was as a fifth grader. Mm. Um, so I don't recall how we morphed. I do remember that my parents were not keen on going overseas at that point in my life. Sure. And so um, not that they were not supportive, but that was – I. They were not listening to my third grade. We need to go move to Africa. Norma, so that I can normally mimic. third graders don't dictate where the family moves. I mean, I was an advanced third grader, but okay. I get it. <laughs> so you grew up in Baxter. Yeah. And I mean, what we would probably consider now like a small country church. Oh, yeah. And God started laying that on her heart at an early age. Absolutely. So as you were going through like middle school, high school, was it just you were like laser focused on this is what I'm going to do? Um. In that fifth grade year, I can't remember if it's before or after that incident, uh, we had a little church revival. We didn't even do it in our tiny church. We went to some little community center in a smaller, even place than where Mm. we were, had this revival, the pastor preached, and I can remember feeling that draw in my heart to rededicate my life. Now I'm thinking, I don't even know how old you're in fifth grade, 10, 11, whatever you are. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine all the murderous, rebellious things I'd done at that age, (laughs) but just feeling that I wasn't close enough Mm. to God. That's what the piece maybe I can remember. And, and taking that step at that time. And then just a few months later, we were commissioning a team from our church, which was very unusual Mm -hmm. um, to go to church of 80. Exactly. That is awesome. To go to Venezuela And my dad was in that team that was going. And that was when I I can remember going forward to make that pull on my heart known. I didn't even know how to express it. But expressing to the pastor, hey, I am feeling something towards Mm -hmm. what you guys are doing. And them beginning to, even as a child, help me wrestle that out. Yeah. Wow. So you get into high school. Mm -hmm. How was high school for you? Um, I academically enjoyed school, um, socially, not so much, um, small town. Mm. We moved to Baxter when I was in the first grade. Mm. Um, they'd all been in like preschool together. And so Mm. they all knew each other felt like I even missed kindergarten. That may have been my opening to have gained access, but I, I felt like I didn't. And so I didn't love the social aspect of school, but I was also just a little unusual. I was I was hyper focused on um, God. I feel like sometimes, but also those religious activities that mm. I felt like would make me good enough. So mm. those legalistic things, you know, I, I didn't I didn't even cuss. I didn't 
um, hang out with people who were partying, partying and nobody ever offered me alcohol or drugs. Like it was <laughs> that kind of level of it. And I don't remember, I hope I wasn't portraying a, I'm better than you are sure. or any of that. Sure. It just was very clear that that was not who I was. Mm-hmm. Wow. So where did you go to, where'd you go to college? I started at Tennessee Tech. So really between high school and college is where my life started to take a turn. The pastor that had been a part of me sharing with him that that pull on my life. And I feel like even as a as a high school student, I was able to do some trips that were 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 different than what my peers were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had done some family mission trips within the States. Um, just again, it was super on my heart. Yeah. Had signed up for a state activator team, which at that point was basically just a group of girls that were going um, from the state of Tennessee. I didn't know any of them, but mm. I signed up to go with them on mission. We didn't end up going as far as I would have liked to. And so the following year, I start. I signed up for the kind of more Elite. There was one group of girls from the state of Tennessee that went to do a project the year before they had done Peru or something that to me felt big. I mean, now it doesn't feel like that big a deal. South America, you know, that's not all that far. But to me, as a Baxter girl, that's like that another was world. The end of the yeah. earth. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So I had signed up that year, but you don't know when you sign up where they're going. Mm. And so to my great surprise, we went to the faraway nation of Memphis, Tennessee. And um, it was great. I loved it. But I won't say that I wasn't a little bit of a letdown mm. of not being able to go further. Um, so, But as, as things begin to transition, I'm thinking through what am I supposed to do with my life mm-hmm. here? I'm graduating. I'm going to college. Where should I go? Family didn't have a lot of extra funds. And so in my limited worldview, I felt limited in where I could go. Sure. So I got a scholarship to Tennessee Tech. So there's your obvious, that was my obvious choice. I didn't, I didn't even know anything about student loans or, so that was a foreign concept to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad at this point that that's not maybe something that I did do, but um, started at Tennessee Tech with my scholarship that I had living at home. Um, but as I was making this transition, I'd started dating um, the son of the pastor who received me when I began to talk about my call. Mm. And um, the odd thing was his family had supported me, even though they'd left our church. Um, and they continued to talk to me about what are you thinking? Do you feel like this really is, you know, Mm. just trying to flesh out what I did as a kid, as I grew older, as I began to understand more. And I would always, I was always affirmative, but always it felt confusing to me. Um, Growing up in Baxter, again, limited worldview. And I don't see how I get from where I am to where I felt like I was being called. Mm. It was like just a void in the path. Um, And so I began to just be unsure I start dating this young man. Um, he's already a, a bit older, and so he's finished college and he's starting his career. He's about to move off, and I get to a moment, a pivotal moment in life. Not that I regret; I definitely would do all that over again. Um, but just that I always want to be cautionary when I talk to people, um, because 
uh, it's definitely a pivot point in my story. I began to have doubts about what is God truly calling me to? Although mm. for years and years and years, you would think that set in. Yeah. But it, it, it wasn't as set in as it could have been or maybe should have been. I get, I'm, I'm in, in the place where I see what's in front of me. And I loved Michael McAfee, and, and I was certain that he's the one that I wanted to spend my life with. And yet he's not called in the same way that I was. However, he had felt a call to gospel ministry on his life as mm. a young adult. Mm-hmm. And he was also involved in what was a ministry-type role. And so I convinced myself that that could possibly be what as a kid I had misunderstood. I mm. just needed to take a, a, a ministry type of role for my life. And, and we began to go down that path, got married, and I wasn't done with school yet. So left Tennessee Tech and continued my, cur- my college career in a number of places. One, Little Rock, Arkansas. I went to UALR there. Um, and then just on around as we began our early married life, mm. um, we were working. I mean, I was definitely committed to what he was doing. We were working hand in hand. Uh, I worked completely without pay for most of our married. There was only a small stint where I got any compensation for anything that I did. But I just loved it. I, I love serving the Lord. Um, but there was almost a hollow ache that this is not exactly it. How long would you say that hollow ache was there? And I almost want to ask, like, how intense was that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I feel like some people might take that to be like the thought of the grass is greener on the other side, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, the grass is greener. Like there's an internal, <clears throat> like, not a void, but just like a, there's something else here. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I feel like it started small for me mm-hmm. and it began to build. Um, so by the time it had gotten to a crescendo, we had a probably a three and a one-year-old at that point. So married, we're doing all the things, super involved at church. Like I was doing all the service serving mm-hmm. that I could do. What type of role was Mike doing at that point? So he was the manager of Lifeway Christian Stores. Um, probably as it got to its worst, we were in Gastonia, North Carolina. He loved what he did. He's great at what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I took on that staff as I wanted to minister to them. I wanted to minister through the store. I was a part of connecting with churches, just all of those things. I felt Mm. like, um, just was personally mine as well as his responsibility and my, my responsibility to help him be able to do what he could do, Mm. um, in the best way possible. And again, he was great at it. Um, but, and then with the church, all manner of roles with uh, involving children um, and eventually even involving uh, missions, we were going short term together. Mm-hmm. We were doing what we could do. On those short term trips, did you get like 
it was almost like tasting what you knew you wanted to do. Absolutely. And it was like fueling that fire even more. Absolutely. I can remember the one when we went to Mexico, we had about a four and a two year old at that point. And the ache was serious at that. Like Mm. it was like um, just turmoil at Mm. that point, by that point. But we were there on the field. I would not say it was an exceptional week. I can remember vaguely what we did. I don't think we did anything hugely impactful, but the missionary, as he put us on the plane, he said something I'll never forget. He said, now you guys have to go home, but this is what I get to do every day. (laughs) And I was like, oh, poor salt in the wound. Like seriously. Yeah, for real. So that was the... That was the ex. That was the description of what I wanted, mm. and that I didn't have. Um, I, I cried big tears. I prayed lots of prayers. Um, I was petrified in some ways about what God did with someone that He called who was not obedient to that call. Mm. Does that mean you know that they have to live out their life with this? feeling that I was living with every day, I'm not going to leave my husband or my two kids. And what missions organization is going to hire the woman who does? So I feel like I've got no options. And if he's not called also, he Mm. can't go if that's not what he's supposed to do. So how do we reconcile this situation that I have, have caused? Mm. Um, And what is he going to do? You know, you know, the story of Jonah (laughs) (laughs) and the, the fish and whatnot. And I mean, in the end, he he did do what God told him. He did get that second chance, and mm. um, there was a lot of difficulty to the place he did. And you know, I don't know that he loved the mission he got sent on in the end anyway, but I just began to wrestle. So what is in the Bible? What does it say about mm-hmm. people who don't mm-hmm. do what they were supposed to do? And what does that mean for me? And, and what is going to happen? It was a lot of really hard things at that point in that waiting period Mm. right now, whether they're in a place, they're single and they're just not at a place where they are able to pursue this yet, Mm -hmm. or they're married and maybe their spouse doesn't experience that same call right now, Mm. or for whatever other reason. And they feel like, I mean, I love how you put it, that where you were Mm. and where you felt like God was calling you to there was this gap mm. in between those two things, mm-hmm. and you didn't really know how or when that gap was going to be crossed. Yeah, And I think that's something a lot of people relate to, not just with missions, mm-hmm. but with a lot of things in life. Right. And so um, for you, what, looking back on that, what were some lessons that you feel like, I don't know, were helpful that you would pass on to somebody now? Yeah, I would say that some of the things that were either beneficial or right was the absolute seeking God's face um, in that desperation, not trying to necessarily cover it up or Mm. run from that, but just being repentant where I needed to be repentant. Um, And then seeking hard after him because ultimately and this is something I can see better from here than probably in the moment, but ultimately it is not what I do that satisfies me, Mm. Um, but it is him and it's only him. And if I'm looking to a role or a place or a person or any other thing to 
to fill that void, that's, it's never, it's always going to fall short. And so just, I think out of desperation is why I was seeking hard. I, 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 I lost in some ways everything that I felt like I would ever hope Mm. to, um, and again, that's not to take away from my kids or, uh, or my husband, they were, they were amazing and so grateful for them, but it just felt like this huge thing that it is a big part of who I am that maybe was never going to be. Um, so I had to just lean hard into the Lord, look to him to satisfy me, to be content where I was, but also not to give up, um, to just keep seeking after knowing that he's the one who has the entire plan and he can change hearts and minds and he could, that I was not able to thwart the almighty God mm-hmm. by my actions. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, his plan would be carried out and maybe it wouldn't happen the way I thought it was going to, or maybe um, there were different ways that things were going to come about, but that I'm still, even when I mess up, I'm still just human right? and he's always God. Mm. So I think that was some of it. Also just being involved right where I was. So I got real serious about um, being intentional in the place that I lived. Mm. It's where I was. And so caring about neighbors, um, continuing to pour in to people that were around me in the time and the place that I am. And then also just reading about either, I mean, we were getting some updates from people on the field, like praying for them seriously, being supportive with our finances in the ways that, because Mike was definitely on board with that, being involved short term, continuing to go short term. Right. I love that you said that because um, I think specifically with missions, some people think like, they'll become an evangelist when Mm. they hop on the airplane. And, you know, David Platt says you don't become an evangelist by getting on an airplane. Right. Like if you're not willing to share the gospel now, you're probably, it's not going to be like you're going to get over there and be like this amazing evangelist. Right. That's not really how it works. Mm -mm. And so recognizing that you maybe have this 10,000 foot level calling on your life Mm -hmm. of making disciples and seeing the lost come to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And maybe your heart is to do that. Mm overseas, but that calling uh, is transcultural in that it can be there or here. Exactly. And so you can do that where you were Mm -hmm. or where you're going or Mm -hmm. where you desire to go or wherever. And it's not like you have to wait till the perfect situation to do those things. You were doing the things you could control in that moment. Yes. Praying, support, Mm -hmm. evangelizing, making disciples where your two feet were. Mm -hmm. And I just hear that you know, so often of, well, I'm not where I want to be mm-hmm. yet. And so I'm just going to wait for that situation. And it's like, no, 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 yeah. no. God in his providence has you where you are right now. Yeah. Even if it feels really hard, you can still walk in obedience yes. and fulfill a greater calling to his kingdom where you are right now. So exactly. Was there like a, so you talked about when you were in Mexico and the mm-hmm. guy says, I get y'all get to go home, but I'm here full time. And mm-hmm. it's like salt in the wound, mm-hmm. <laughs> like pain, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Was there a moment after that where, I don't know, it just like reached a crescendo and it was like, we've, I've, we've got to do something. 
Yes. Um, we continued to do, which Mike knew when he married me, he was there when some of these conversations were going on. He was there sure. when I would have gone down. Um, he even knew that his parents were kind of checking in on me because that was his dad that I shared that initially with. Um, so it wasn't really a surprise that missions was on my heart. And we mm-hmm. talked about it some as we were jumping into marriage. You know, I'm sharing with him. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm confused. You know, maybe this is min- just ministry is what it is. So he knew that along the way. Um, but as we get to this place, I think in some ways I was reticent to share because um, I didn't want him to do something God wasn't calling him to. Just because he was because calling Because of me. Yeah. And I didn't want him to think that I regretted hmm. the decisions that I'd made that brought, had brought me to that place either. So it was like a super complicated place. But he knew that I was definitely struggling. And so he mm. was definitely trying to, how can we step this up in other ways? How can we be involved more in missions, praying, giving, going? Um, he was super supportive in all those areas. Um, but there were probably just, actually, I can only remember one specific friend that I had a real tight bond with that we shared some spiritual struggles. Um, she was probably one of the few that I was super honest with mm. of, I know God called me to this. Now mm. I know. I don't have any doubt anymore. I know he called me to this, and here's where I am, and I don't know what he does with that. So mm. that was one of the moments. So just just real grief of, um, you know, did I, what, it, what, have, what have I done, and what, what is that going to mean long term? Um, but Mike began to experience some of his own turmoil that I didn't particularly know about either. Although I was watching some of it and kind of wondering, um, he decided to go to seminary, which he'd not done Mm -hmm. previously, but he decided he wanted to go. And, um, we made a move to a church that was a lot more missions focused. And that was probably on my, that was probably for my benefit. We both felt like we should be there. But I think he knew that that's a huge piece of my heart and maybe a way to to be able to kind of be a comfort in mm-hmm. in that. And then he was asked to teach Sunday school. He's always loved teaching. And so he began to teach Sunday school. But in this particular church, they only get uh, Sunday school is basically just a weekly small group. Yes, yeah. small group on kind of morning. thing, Bible study yeah. situation. Well, this church had about an 80% attendance rate for their Bible studies. Which is good. That's insane. Yeah, like, that's I, really we good. We had not seen it up until that point. So the people that are coming to these groups have been involved in studies for years. They've probably grown up in this. And so Mike felt a little bit of a pull of if he's going to teach in front of an audience that has always been taught. Like mm-hmm. these aren't people who have occasionally been in a Bible study. These people have always been in Bible study right. and it felt super heavy to him. So he thought I've got to learn more to make sure that I am able to handle well the word and, and to do it in a, a good manner so that they can continue to glean and that I'm not going to hold them back mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a teacher. So he began to go to school. And so all along the way I'm, testing the waters of 
hmm, you want to start seminary? Okay, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) And then, um, and then as he got in, he's, you know, what classes are you taking? And we talked through the classes he was going to take. What seminary did he go to? It was a really, really little one. Oh man, I don't even know if I'll be able to pull up the name of it. We were in North Carolina. It was across the line in South Carolina. Um, and it was, a I think a Wesleyan seminary or something. So a little Mm. odd. It was not necessarily our normal thing that we would have picked, but it was close Sure. and he was working full time. And so it was the best way for him to be able to, he did it at night. And what year was this? This was in 2004, 2003, 2004. Online programs were not what they are now. Right. Right. You got to go for the most part. Mm -hmm. There were some options, but pretty sketchy. Right. Right. So it was the easiest way for him to start that, that training and he got started and to start with, it was just your normal Old Testament or Greek or whatever it was. And um, as he continued in another semester, he took missiology mm. and I was like, well, which is no, a fun class. That's pretty great. So mm-hmm. this is getting more where I'm hoping we're going. And I began to hope in my spirit that maybe because I think at, at one point I was at a he's never going to call Mike mm. and I'm always going to feel called. Hmm. and um, just a hopelessness. But at this point, I'd really kind of turn the page to what if God could call him to, and maybe that's the way this works out. And so all the time I'm just listening to all those keys. Are Hmm. You know, why are you interested in missiology? Why are you taking this? He came home one day and said one of his fellow students had looked around at him after class and said, Hey, have you ever thought about being a missionary? <laughs> I am all in on this discussion now. Like I'm, yeah, I'm like, keyed in. I was like, okay, what did you up. say? Yeah. yeah. What did you say? And he was like, I said, Psh, no, <laughs> I was like, Oh man, that's so bad. So just lots of little, Oh, this could work to, Oh, right. this is never going to work. Yeah. Um, and that was the way our life was. And, mm. um, again, he's still getting more in tune with, I think probably the struggle for me was more apparent than I could know that it was. And um, the church that we were at had a yearly missions conference. So always my favorite time of year. We'd have missionaries in from all over Mm -hmm. the world. We'd have the ones that were sent out from our body there occasionally as well. And just really getting about a five-day period to do life on life with missionaries. And we're involved in every way. If, if they were having a meeting, I was there. If they were having mm. a meeting about having a meeting, I was there. So um, we were being involved in that. And then as we continued that every year on Sunday, that was always the last day of the event. Sunday, there was a super big call to action. Like, mm. what are you going to do with what you've been exposed to over this time and we'd usually have some kind of card where we'd fill it out with different ways you could be involved praying giving going short term teaching all these things that you can do Um, and I only remember that last year of the very last thing on the card was I want to pursue this full time Mm. with my life and we had the card in advance that particular year. We'd met with missionaries. It was so sweet to be able to sit with some. I've always been a huge fan of Africa. I can remember that's probably the place I was trying to convince my parents to go as a third grader. Um, but we sat with a missionary from Africa on that mm. 
in one of the events that we had. It was one of the closer contacts where it was just two or three couples and this missionary couple. So lots of one-on-one conversation about what they're doing, how it's going, what does it look like. Mm-hmm. And so here we are Sunday morning. We filled out our card in advance because we're that that kind of family. We've got all the boxes checked. We're going to pray for missionaries. We're going to give so that people can go. We're going to do short term. We're going to teach others about. We're going to be an influencer. All the things that you could check. I can't remember how many they were, but we checked them all except for that last one. And, you know, I don't think I even asked the question. I know that's not where we are. Sure. And so we'd fill it all out. We were ready. Mike had it in a shirt pocket. And then on Sunday morning, there's this big procession. Everybody brings up their cards mm. that they filled out and they lay them on the altar. And everybody just lays them down and walks away. It's our act of submission or obedience that we were taking sure. to lay them on A the very altar. Very physical representation. Exactly. Yeah. And so Mike and I walk up. He lays our card down. I almost turn to go because that's what everybody else is doing. Right. Um, but Mike pauses. And I realized fast enough to not really make it too obvious. And so I pause and then he hits his knees and I was like, well, I don't really know what we're doing, but I feel kind of weird and awkward right now. I guess I will kneel with him. Yeah. This wasn't part of the plan. That wasn't what anybody's doing. It wasn't what we were planning to do. And here we are. So he's knelt down and I kneel beside him. And I just like thoughts are running through my head of, I mean, even some of them I can remember are, are frustrated thoughts of why am I going to have to kneel at this altar with my card right there that is the exact representation of what I want but can't have. Mm-hmm. So some of those really frustrated thoughts. And then I watch Mike always carried a pen in his shirt pocket because of where he worked and that's something he did. And he pulls his pen out of his shirt pocket and reaches up and finds our card amongst the many and pulls it back to him and checks that last box. And if the heavens can open and angels can sing, that's the moment for me that that was <laughs> of just that you've got to be kidding me. So mm. we walked away. I'm I'm floored. I don't even know what to say, but I'm overjoyed that that's what we've checked and we can at least pursue whatever's going on in his heart. And um, so we began to, by the time we had made it, our 15-minute drive to the house with our two little kids, we were ready to go. And wow, wow. <laughs> Um, I don't even know what you did at that point, but I can remember somehow looking up 1-800-IMB or something. <laughs> and I had called them, I think that Sunday afternoon, if I remember correctly. You were like, let's get this locked Let's down. go. Can we buy a plane <laughs> ticket today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a couple things um, that I think we should touch on before we go farther. Um, one is just for clarification, the IMB that we keep talking about mm-hmm. is the international mission board, yes, which is the missions, international missions arm of the Southern Baptist convention mm-hmm. that is supported through Southern Baptist churches and the cooperative program, which is something Southern Baptist churches give to for the purpose of missions, um, and right. church planting and evangelism and lots mm-hmm. of other things. Mm-hmm. So that's what the IMB is. So if you hear us say IMB or NAM, which is the NAMB, is the North American Mission Board, which does the same thing 
domestically here in the U.S. and North America, so Canada, United States. Do they Puerto Rico? I think they might. I don't. Yeah. So I think this region of the world. That's Mm -hmm. Nam. IMB is everything else. Um, And then the second thing is, I can potentially hear some kickback of if you felt so called to go, Hmm. why couldn't just Mike hop on board? Yeah. And I think it's important to clarify, this is not a job. Right. It's not like, yeah, we'll move for Heather's job of being a missionary. Right. Or we'll move for Mike's job of being a missionary. Right. This is something that it necessitates both people to be called of God to do. Would you, you would agree. I would wholeheartedly agree. And so it's not like, well, Mike didn't just want to, he just didn't want to sacrifice for Heather. Right. It was this needed to be both of them, God calling them individually and together mm-hmm. to be a part of this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've had some people say, well, what if, you know, for other things, not this, but mm-hmm. what if God doesn't call them? Mm. And my prayer has always been, Lord, either if this is something I believe we should do, mm-hmm. help my wife, Bria, call mm-hmm. her to do the same thing mm-hmm. or begin to take away my desire. Right. One or the other. Right. But bring us together in right. unity on this, and that kind of sounds like where you were mm-hmm. and where Mike was, and it you know ended up being that he was called, yeah, and the Lord called him and you to do this together, mm-hmm. and so. But I wanted to bring up that clarifier because I, especially you know, in our culture, <laughs> people might say, "Well, why didn't y'all just move?" You yeah, know, right? And but this is not like you were just moving to work a job. Right. This is a calling of God to take the gospel to people who've never heard it before overseas, and that requires both people in the marriage to be 100% on board for that. Exactly. Anything you want to add to that? Um, I don't think so. Uh, One of the early real kickers that we got with actually the IMB, um, some of the paperwork you have to fill out early on is lengthy and confusing, and they were asking questions of us about our calling. And so Hmm. um, part of this is about the fact that you know what you know and somebody else doesn't know what you know until you tell them what you know. Mm -hmm. And so the board was getting stuff from us and Mike was sharing his feeling of being called, which, you know, we would flesh out, of course, after that Sunday morning event. But he was fleshing it out with them. And to me, I'd always been called. So it, I've, I forget that somebody else doesn't know that unless I tell them that. Right. And so they, he came down real hard, consultant came down really hard on me. And he said about what you just said, he said, if you aren't both called, you, you better both be called. And if you're not this, this is not the place for you. Mm. And so um, I was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have definitely called. Yeah. Um, well, this is just the newer piece. So that was kind right. of the piece we're putting forward. Yeah. But yeah, definitely my heart is there as well. And I think that was something that was fleshed out over our years. And we also watched people that came and and went. And the I don't think everybody has the same call experience. I don't right. think it has to look like a certain thing, mm-hmm. but the pursuit with which they were pursu- pursu- the uh, uh, amount that with which they were pursuing their call definitely affected how effective they were on the field 
and even their longevity mm. as they were there. Mm. So you guys call 1-800-IMB. <laughs> exactly. That wasn't a thing, was it? It wasn't. I don't Surely even know not. how, but we didn't have, I don't, I don't, I just I certainly didn't have a smartphone. We who probably is, had a desktop or who something. Who was the president of the IMB then? At was that point, Jerry, Jerry Rankin. Rankin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys called the IMB. We figured out how to call them and figured we called them. Call. Yeah, probably and, on our dial-up internet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what happens next? We um, had to tell our parents. So mm. we tell Mike's family first, uh, partly because they had, they had maybe even more than my parents been a part of making sure I never forgot. And I fleshed out what my call was as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. My parents were supportive, but I don't think they really knew what to do with me. Like that sure. was, that was a very unusual thing to them. And, um, they were all about missions education, but not really sure about, I don't think they also saw the gap between how do we get from where we are to that place. Right. And, so we called them, we called Mike's parents first. They're great with it. And we call my family and my mom gets on the phone and we share with her that we've already called the international mission board. Keyword being international. Exactly. And <laughs> so my mom was real quiet. She was supportive. She said, okay, well, that's, that's good. Um, that's great. Heather, do you remember that there's a North American mission board too. <laughs> and that was the only comment really that yeah. she, she made. Yeah. And I, I said, yeah, mom, I do. But I think we've called where, what we're feeling right now. I think we've called yeah. the we right called one. The right, we called the right 1-800. Yes. <laughs> so that's kind of where we began to run from there. And then at that point we get a packet of information sent. And I think the process has probably changed because this was again, around 2005. Mm. And so we get at that point, a package in the mail from the INB with several job descriptions that tell a little bit about the people that the job would be working with, what the job would look like, what the location is sort of like, and the level of, hmm, the level of evangelization. I don't know if that's even a word, but, of the people there. So like what, what is the level of the gospel presence in that place? Right. So like what percentage would be considered evangelical believers? Right. And so we have this packet and we're considering all the things we're talking. I am really just living on cloud nine. Just excited that we're talking about it. And so Mike is is being kind of goofy, and he's we did have a real globe at that point. I don't know if we people even have those anymore, but he got our globe out, and we're kind of looking at it, and we're thinking through all the different possibilities. And he said, "Well, I mean, I don't know if I have a an inkling of where we mm. should even start." He said, "Like, should I just like spin it and like stick my finger on it, or what do you think we should do?" And um, we read through all the job descriptions and we we're still kind of unsure, but there was a really strange job description in there because one of the job descriptions we'd re- we'd received in our packet of 10 of probably several hundred job descriptions on the books was a job description for the country of the people that we had sat at the table with at that missions conference. Wow. And one of the things they shared with us is that they were retiring 
probably in their next term and would not be, they wouldn't be able to return, of course, to their place of service after that, leaving a gap is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to, mm-hmm. to say. There would be a hole there. Mm-hmm. And so every time we passed, first of all, I was surprised it was there. It wasn't just the country. It was also the city. Mm. Um, so I was surprised it was there. And then it just kept coming back to the top of why is that there? Mm. And so that became the one that we just both felt a, a move towards that particular request. Mm. Okay. So what happened? I mean, what is like the process from there? So do you just like send in your resume to the IMB and we want to go do this thing. What is, I mean, I'm curious too, like what is training like? Right. What is the equipping process like? Cause I know there's a point, didn't y'all go to Vancouver? We did. For a while for training. We and, did. You know, I'm also curious, is there like security training? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, what is that? You kind of get to that end where you're like, I'm in, this mm-hmm. is the place where we're thinking we want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens then? Well, here's the weird thing. Um, Just like you had mentioned before, a lot of times, even if you're on the right road, right now is not the right moment. Mm -hmm. So here we are in 2005. We've got a couple of little kids and a lot of entanglements of U.S. American life. Uh, We had some rental properties. Mm -hmm. Mike's got a great job. Um, He needed more seminary than he had. So just a whole lot of things that really needed to happen. The board isn't a huge fan of this Wesleyan seminary he's going to suggests possibly a change in venue. So we begin to make those things happen. We begin to try to sell off things that we felt like we could sell off because at that point the board wasn't really letting people go with a lot of entanglements. There were, I mean, there were some exceptions, but you needed to not be tied to this place. Mm So we began the process of how do we sell these these investments that we have? Um, what do we do? Just all the things. And there is there were mountains and mountains and mountains of paperwork about who you are, your complete story, all of your faith journey, um, your beliefs in this moment. Um, we have a document as Southern Baptists called the Baptist Faith and Message, which basically is just kind of a brief grouping of some of our general yeah, beliefs that we as a, mm-hmm, yeah. we as a, a body or we as a, I don't think I'm going the right word, whatever that is. network cooperating churches. Exactly mm-hmm. what we kind of adhere to. And we had to write our own based on that like what do I think about each aspect of this Mm. it's not a long document but it's not a short document either if you're going to sit down and try to write down this is everything I believe about God and salvation and service to him and parts of the church you're having to write this for yourself why do you think think. why do you think that was necessary um in some ways I think it's to make sure that they're a body cooperating together that Mm -hmm. is sending us and they don't want to send people that don't represent what they want to be represented as the gospel is being shared. I think that's one of it. I think another part of it is if I'm going to share my faith with on it on a daily basis, I'm going to plant churches. Mm -hmm. I need to be certain about what I do believe and I need to be able to express that to others I need to realize even maybe things I didn't know were important to me 
And so that was all, whether that was their intention or not, I'm not sure, but it was definitely something God was taking me through. Well, what do you think about this controversial topic? And how are you going to mm-hmm. treat that when you're the one that's the kind of expert on a topic in yeah. this place? There, You're going, you're the one that's planting the church. You're the one that's going to be making all these decisions in some ways mm-hmm. while you're there. And so you need to understand what you believe. You need to understand what's important before you go. And yeah, these people that are behind me, they don't, they shouldn't send somebody that they don't believe in that they, and in collectively, obviously they can't all interview me. Right. But if a board is going to look at my answers to questions and, and, and answer that and facilitate that, I think that's some of the reason. Hmm. Um, then we're just going through some medical things that with, mm-hmm. if you go with the IMB, you have to pass certain medical. Because they provide health insurance. They provide health insurance. They um, are going to be placing you in places where health care may be, not maybe, is probably way different than it is in your home culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to stick you out in the middle of nowhere where you can't get certain things, they need to know that you are physically able to handle that. They don't. Right. Their intention is also not to send you off to die or whatever, put you in a bad spot that you're not going to be able to do what Mm. the common in the culture is going to demand of you. So what was it like? So y'all are still in North Carolina at this point? Yes. And so all of this kind of admin background Mm -hmm. stuff, selling off property, Mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, minimizing your life from an American standpoint, it all kind of comes to a head to where, I I mean, I can only imagine, it's like your last Sunday at this church Mm -hmm. that y'all that Mike was called in, mm-hmm. that y'all been living in, that you've been going through this whole process in, that's been having this missions conference. Yeah. What was that last Sunday like there? Oh, I mean, it's almost like graduation or whatever. Like you've, mm. you've achieved, or to me, for a lifelong dream, you've, you've gotten there, you've achieved the thing that you've waited so long for, you've studied, you've been, you've been found not worthy, but, um, yeah, I don't know what's the right word to go right there, but you've been found acceptable to be treated with this honor. And to me, that's always what it was a high place of honor. Um, you are faithful and here you go. We had a body of people that loved us that were supporting Mm -hmm. us. They were at our yard sale when we're selling off everything from our plates to our, beds to our everything pretty much Mm -hmm. that we owned Mm -hmm. um they were they helped pack the rental i mean yeah the rental truck as we take a couple of things back to some family that are going to store them for us things like that um had a party for us and and just sent us off well just did a really really great job but Mm. it's the embarking on that the rest of your life i think that's why i thought of it like graduation right you've you've applied yourself now you get to go do it Mm -hmm. um and so i think that was that and we were headed first for training like you you, like you mentioned and the first thing with the organization organization we went with is at that point was an eight-week training in virginia so packing up our few suitcases Mm -hmm. with our two kids and each of them we let them have a suitcase that we packed which was clothes and toothbrushes and things like that. The necessities. And a, a suitcase that they packed, which was filled with stuffed animals and 
things they didn't feel like they could live their life without. <laughs> How was their reaction to all of this? Oh, man, those two kiddos were troopers. They were excited. I think we started young enough. It took us two years to mm-hmm. get from 1-800-IMB to, to load up the moment. truck. Yes. Yeah. And so that's an important note because I think some people think it's like a two, like a six week process. Yeah. But it, it takes time to go through all of that. Yeah. And it's to do the due diligence it and make is. sure this is actually the right move. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not saying it's bad, but it can be a, a fairly long, some shorter than others, mm-hmm. especially if you're a 22 year old married couple that doesn't have all of this exactly. going on. It's going to look different. But uh, it's a it's not like a one eight hundred IMB and the mm-hmm. next week you're shipping out to Virginia yeah, for training. You don't really get to buy your plane ticket that day, just mm-hmm. so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they were at that point five and seven. So they've been hearing about this since they're three and five. So in all fairness, they were great troopers. Yeah. But in all fairness, they don't really remember. They don't really know anything different. Yeah. They've yeah. always been getting ready to do this thing that mm-hmm. mom and dad are doing. Um, they were excited about it. They're just really, they're good kids. And so they were ready for the process. And the IMB is an amazing organization when it comes to the training that families need Mm -hmm. and hitting the needs of the entire family. Again, they only asked for mom and dad's call, but from day one, they're helping children to understand that they, this isn't about just mom and dad, that we are all on mission. We are Mm -hmm. all going to live incarnationally in a place where the gospel is not as known as we want it to be. And so that's what they were headed for too. So we do this eight weeks of training, um, just key into me. I don't love trainings. Um, so I feel like I did not take as much advantage of that as I should have. Again, on one eight hundred IMB day, I wanted to buy my ticket. So yeah, you were this like, still let's another... just go do it. And you're like, the training's in the way of what I want to go do. Exactly. Sure. So here's this training that it's for a family. It's a pretty robust training because you're handling the needs of children mm-hmm. and your spouse. I think for a single, it's probably lighter. It doesn't sure. feel as heavy. But for family, it was it was a pretty good commitment. We were all constantly on something because they're they're treating you holistically as well. Mm-hmm. So they're helping your kids with education and with being ready to go. They're talking to you about physical fitness and how to stay well and yeah. how to stay spiritually well and how to stay mentally well and how to handle security situations. Mm-hmm. And so there's part of that that's treated in that first time, you know, before we're going to send you off, there's an entire week that's devoted primarily to security training and, Mm. and, and how are you going to react in situations? And they put you in situations. So you're aware it's one thing to read on a piece of paper. You should do this and you shouldn't do this. It's another thing for them to put you in a scenario Mm. where you see what you're going to do. Did during that portion for you as a mom, Mm -hmm. was there any moment where you're like, Oh my goodness. If this, like, I don't know where it gets real. Yeah. Like of the, I mean, there's just not another way to put it, like the potential of what could happen right? while on the field. And um, I think too, we need to keep in mind, there's risk literally wherever you Absolutely. are. Absolutely. And so it's not like you move to the mission field and right. your risk instantly goes up, goes up solely because you're on the mission field. Right. But the reality is the U.S., is a fairly risk averse right. when it comes to evangelism and church planting and missions right. in that you're not in danger right. usually because right. of it. 
um, the overall risk because of what you're doing is fairly low. Mm-hmm. But it's not that way in every other country. Right. And so was there a moment or something like that where you were like this, like you're kind of counting the cost yeah. of what could potentially happen? I definitely think there was for me. Um, I don't think it was as hardcore as others may have struggled with. Again, my call is way back in there. And so once I was, I don't even know how, I, I probably because I needed to meet Mike and have my mm-hmm. kids and that was a path I needed to walk on and I may not, I probably would have been single focused on what I was doing. I don't even know what yeah. I would have missed had I not gone the way that I did. But so I think that call helps in those kind of moments mm-hmm. of, I am certain that I can trust this one who has put this in me, even in, even if, and even when. And so it was definitely re- a reality. You're also talking through, I don't even remember if it was that week or not, but thinking through the realities of what happens to our kids if something happens to us and do we have everything in place for them to be taken care of and yeah. all of those sorts of details that we, even as young parents, hadn't yet taken care of. We didn't have a will. We didn't have those other things. And so mm. beginning to get some practical things in place that are also, it it feels, yes, it's being aware of the risk and the danger, but it feels like taking some, some control back of, okay, I'm going to plan so that I'm going to trust God. But if something happens, I've done everything that I can do Mm. to make sure that things are right. A, I'm doing this training, so I will do more of the right things than I would have done if I Mm -hmm. hadn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is some measure of control also. Yes, definitely the reality sinking in, but also, but I'm taking these steps to make sure that when or if it does, that I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. So was all of that in Virginia? All of that at that time was in Virginia. So then did you go from there to Vancouver? No, we did not. Um, at that point, the board hadn't yet started the Vancouver option. And so we went directly to the field from there. So we only had our eight week that everybody wow. gets. Wow. And we jumped from, remember, girlfriend grew up in Baxter. I don't even know what the population is, but it's... Especially that time. Yeah. It, it's somewhere above 12, but definitely below 12,000. So <laughs> it was probably a thousand or Not two. Many. I don't even yeah. know. Not a lot. Um, and we jump into a city of 5 million. Hmm. Are you allowed to talk about where that was? Yes. Abidjan, Ivory Coast. Their French name is Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and yeah, it's in West Africa. Hmm. Completely. We were straight up church planters. Um, any sign of danger, the first thing we were supposed to do is say, we are missionaries mm. here because religious people were respected. Gotcha. And so it was a So in that game sense, changer. the risk was fairly low. As far as that goes, yes, absolutely. We mm. were more safe because of what we were. So Right. So let me ask this. I'm just curious. You're flying over on the plane and you get off the plane. Mm-hmm. What was like that first few hours, first day, first night where it's like, okay, we're here. We are doing like this. what <laughs> is going on? I mean, what was that like for you guys? Um, a lot of moments of the complete gamut to, I cannot believe we're here in this mm-hmm. place in this time to, oh my goodness, what have we done to, we're never going to make it. I'm never going to be able to speak this language. Yeah. Um, were you, lear- so you do language learning as a part of your first time in 
country, we right? Did so. we did, but we're a little bit different than some. They dropped us right in our location, so we mm. did our language learning in the place that we were going to live for, as far as we knew, the foreseeable future. Yeah. We did it right there, and we did it not with skilled trainers. We did it with people basically off the street. So were you primarily learning French? We were. That's the first thing. And that was the other thing at that time. The the board has made some adjustments now, but at that time you had to learn the the language that you were going to be operating in first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had to learn French because nearly everyone in that city speaks French, at least to some level. All business is done in French all medical or those kind of things all done in French. Your basic conversation on the street is in French. Mm. So we had to do that. But the board also had kind of an older policy that if you were going to Africa, you couldn't just learn like a colonization language like French is. Right. But you also had to learn a heart language. Mm -hmm. So we knew the first thing we were going to have to do is our French studies, which we expected to take 12 to 18 months. Um, How many hours a day were you working on that? We had to put a 40-hour week in. On French? On French. Whoa. Yeah. Bless you. Yes, I know. Exactly. Um, And then we got to count a lot of things, though, just to be real honest. So even if you're at the grocery store and you're getting your your daily needs, you're hearing it, you're having to use it at whatever Mm. level you have. So that can count. So that that can count. If you're sitting on your front porch and you've turned on a radio station, we could count that. Not necessarily passive listening, we were supposed to be, but you could count those Mm. things. So it was 40 hours of utilization of the language a week. Okay, that's not as bad as classroom time. Right, we only had a few hours every day. We only had two hours of paid time where someone was teaching us, Mm -hmm. and then we had to log another few hours of homework or other things that were more studious. Sure. And then we could also add in these other things that are practical needs being met or um, listening or being exposed. Did you pick it up pretty quickly? Being, I mean, because I took French in college, mm-hmm. but it was hard because no one speaks French exactly. in Cookville, Tennessee, but you're in a place that it's being used right. daily. So was it, how hard was it to pick it up? So in some ways I feel like it was not as hard as I thought it might be mm-hmm. in other ways, it's every bit as hard as anything I've ever done. Mm. Um, so it's just a little bit of both. And I think some of that is just the frustration level that you're at here. You're in, especially for us, we're in the place we've always wanted to be. We're here ready to do the job. They've been waiting for us. They're ready for us to get started. And th- again, this is like the training. This is in the way of doing, Right. <laughs> except this is even more, I, I can see the benefit of this. Mm-hmm. I have to do this or I can never do my job. Yeah. So um, it was it was definitely hard, but easier because you're immersed, easier because you're forced. Yeah. And then so, what was the heart language you guys had to learn? We were able to choose because it, there wasn't something that we were going to use for mm-hmm. ministry necessarily. So Mike chose one and that one was Jula. It was a large unreached people group in our area also sometimes used as a trade what defines language. Unre- what defines unreached? So an unreached people group is one that has less than 2% of the population that is evangelized. So out of, professing. Hun- out of 100 people, less than two less of them than two are of professing them. believers. Right. And Jula, I believe at that point, 
there were parts of them that were also unengaged, which is that second piece. And unengaged just means there's nobody right now trying to help them mm. to reach them. Mm. So they were un, parts of the jeweler were unreached and unengaged. Um, and so that felt smart for us to cover that. Yeah. It was a, more people who spoke that language. And then I chose um, Moray, which is a language of a large people group that was in our in our city. I think it was the second largest people group that was mm. there. The odd thing about them is they were actually from a neighboring country. So they're all immigrants had come to do work that was considered less than mm. for the our, our nation. And they were willing to do anything to make money to be able to provide for their families. And so they did those really not even blue collar. I don't even, there's, if there's something below that, that's what they did. They mm. did all those mm. types of jobs and just had, had an influx into that country and were so large. They sometimes, because of their ethnicity, were um, fairly ethnocentric. And some of the women especially did not speak French. Mm. And that's one of the reasons I went there because it was a large chunk of people that speak this and some of them are not speaking French, whereas all of our Ivorian ethnic groups did speak French. Right. So if you're listening to this, if you've made it this far an hour in. Hey, guys. Um, good job. <laughs> but just think about this for a second. In Putnam County, how many churches are there on every corner? Mm. There's a ton. Mm-hmm. And there is still a huge need for gospel presence and evangelism Mm -hmm. and biblical discipleship in Putnam County, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. But there are not just unreached people groups where you were, Mm -hmm. but unengaged. Mm -hmm. So no one was reaching them. If nothing else changes. If nothing else changes, they will live their whole lives without even hearing the gospel. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Cookville, you can't drive down the street without at least passively being engaged by some sort of Christianity, whether it's a church sign, for better or worse, Mm -hmm. or a billboard inviting you to church or something. And that's great. But it just shows like the difference in not necessarily need, but saturation Mm -hmm. of the gospel in a place like Cookville, Tennessee, and where you were in Abidjan. Mm -hmm. So different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think should... Because that's in the 1040 window, isn't it? Almost. It doesn't quite make it. Okay. Is it about the five degrees okay. north latitude? So, it's so they miss close. it by about five degrees. Okay. But it's similar. <laughs> yes. It sounds like. And versus Cookville, with that very much is very saturated with the gospel mm-hmm. to a place like this where there is little to no mm-hmm. gospel presence. Mm-hmm. Um, One it of just the speaks things to I the will, need. I wanted to add. There are people groups. That's what was real complicated in our area. There were people groups that were in that city that are reached. So there is a presence of churches in the Mm. city. Nothing like what we have, but there's a presence of churches, but they all tended to be ethnocentric. So Mm. if we had 66 indigenous languages in our country, and so there's this humongous difference in these different, different ethnic groups and so if you're of a larger majority Christian population, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all you've got in your church is who you are. Mm-hmm. And and you're completely missing these others that are around you. You're, you're not even... It, w- it blew my mind the first time that we even worked with national partners and we went to share the gospel, broad seed sowing. 
and we would walk up to somebody. The first thing they'd do was say, we're going to evangelize you. Uh, maybe not the best way to start. Um, <laughs> and then second, they would say, um, are you, what did they say? Are you pagan or are you Christian? Oh, that's a great question. And you're like, okay, Just a, second great option yeah, to okay. go with. We're doing great so far. And so if they would say they were a Muslim, they would say, okay, thank you very much, and they would turn around and walk away. Mm. If they said they were Catholic, they would say thank you very much and turn around and walk away. Or if they said they were Buddhist or whatever it was, they said they would be like, okay. So they were just looking to see if you had a religious affiliation, and if you said you didn't have anything, then they might talk to you. <laughs> mm. So just a real perspective shift. That is interesting. So you guys finish your language learning mm-hmm. in about a year. How many years total were you there? Twelve. Twelve. So you finish your first year. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, man, there's so many different directions we can go. And, but one thing I'm really interested in is what was, you know, after you finish your language learning, you guys are established in country now, been there a few years. Mm-hmm. What is like a daily, like kind of day in the life of Heather in the city, you know, as a missionary, what does that look like? We really had um, our particular ministry was had different facets. So one of the things we were trying to do was do church hmm, small group starts in areas of the segments of the population that are not being reached. Hmm. So whether that was along an ethnic group line or like a which often meant families were starting Mm -hmm. in families or if it meant this geographical location does not have um, a Bible-believing church. Sure. They do have a lot of things in the cities call, in the city called churches that are not at all. Lots mm. of cults, mm. lots of things that are just not at all Bible-believing. So. Did you guys have to kind of like um, combat's not the right word, but maybe kind of right the ship for some people when you said maybe what you guys are doing was a church? And it's different than this church down the road, almost kind of like sometimes what we have to do here where it's like our church is very different mm-hmm. than some other churches you mm-hmm. might experience, even in our own right. kind of area. And yes, so. definitely. And so as we are starting these small groups, we're just basically starting with Bible stories. Mm-hmm. So that was something I learned to do and love. I love to Bible story. Um, basically just the the Bible is a narrative, and so um, very large chunks of it are basically stories. And so yeah. we're taking those and sharing those in a comprehensive. We didn't do read through the Bible in a year. Um, there was a lot lower liter- literacy rate where we were, mm-hmm. but we're taking the Bible as a whole and sharing that picture of of redemption that starts in the beginning and goes all the way through. Mm. And so that was one of the things that I did a lot of just finding people who are willing to listen. How did you find those people? Sharing the gospel over and over and over and over and over. So would you like stand on a street corner and be like, come hear this story? Or was it like engaging someone at like... One-to-one typically. Kind of a... Okay, cool. Yeah. Wherever they were, uh, our sweet Africans are so relational that Mm. when you walk Mm. up to somebody and you say, hey, can we talk for a minute? They're like, absolutely. So I would be oftentimes in the market... Mm. um, I'd be sitting down at somebody's shop where they're doing hair. I'd be in somebody's house because we knocked on their door and they said, yeah, sure, come in. Um, yeah. All those kinds of things. We use teams a lot to get us some openings. Mm. We got a group of people in. 
we share the gospel over and over and over to every person who will listen, and then we come back behind that with these storying groups. Yeah. That is, a, that is an interesting thing you bring up, too, about the short-term teams, because that's a lot of what you do now is help kind of organize those mm-hmm. teams with national partners, whether it's a church planner in, like, Denver, mm-hmm. Colorado, or someone who's overseas in another country. Mm-hmm. And uh, those teams were only there for, what, two weeks? Right. Maybe? Tops, usually. And But, like, the doors that would open for you guys mm-hmm. later, they were a piece in the puzzle of what was going on there. Absolutely. And so sometimes the question's brought up, like, what good do short-term missions mm-hmm. really do? Mm-hmm. And this is a real-life example where it was helpful Absolutely. to move the ball forward. Sure, you maybe not didn't see, like, a massive revival come mm-hmm. out of a two-week trip. Mm-hmm. But the doors it opens might not have opened or would have opened a lot slower without a team coming in. Exactly. And so as opportunities, if you're listening to this, as opportunities come up for short-term missions, as long as it's moving the ball forward mm-hmm. for the person who lives there and mm-hmm. is doing this work day in and day out, it is a valuable mm-hmm. investment of time and money for sure. Yeah. So um, as you think back over, I mean, those 10 or 12 years, what is like an experience where which there's going to be tons of these, but an experience where you're like, if God had not gotten me through that, mm. I don't know what I would have done. Wow. That's a, that's a good one. Um, there are lots of them because another part of our ministry was to the existing churches to mm. influence mm. and help bring them along. And so we are getting into the gamut of situations. One of the ways we worked with churches was, to do some community development, compassion ministry type things. So you're coming up with lots of situations that are beyond Mm -hmm. who you are. Um, I think maybe even one of the greatest is that personal struggle to, to stay or to go or things like that you're you've gotten to this place you've reached this this point but they'll tell you in training that one of the one of the biggest reasons people come off the field is because of interpersonal relationship issues Mm. uh, with colleagues frequently or with nationals or or whatever it might be and so um probably i would say that one of the biggest would have been at a time where we had colleagues come. They were going to come and serve with us. Mike was team leader where we were. We were some of the first doing the work we were doing. And Mm -hmm. so we're team lead and had people come over the years off and on just a lot of different difficult situations that these countries in West Africa are typically not stable Mm -hmm. um, government wise. And we had a, a coup during part of the time that we were there and, things of that nature makes it hard for people to stay or to want to come. Mm -hmm. And so we had just gotten to the place where we'd been doing what we were doing by ourselves for so long and just really, really, really needed some help. Got a family in and was a whole lot of things that led to the place that uh, they were only there for six weeks. Um, Got into a lot of had they planned to stay indefinitely? Mm-hmm. They were a career so like had, we were. They had gone through the same training mm-hmm. or similar training you guys have. Mm-hmm. They came in mm-hmm. six weeks. Wow. Six weeks. Um, there was a lot of things that led to that. Life is more difficult than you may imagine until mm-hmm. you 
put your feet in it. And right. life is hard. Language learning is hard. And I think they began to personally question whether or not they'd be able to achieve their goals in the same mm-hmm. way that we all did when we got on the field. Sure. Um, but it, they came at a time where the International Mission Board was choosing to bring down a little bit the numbers that they had on the field. And they offered a deal to people that weren't, weren't sure that this was where they were called to be. Like Mm. if you're ready to come home, but you're just not doing it because you don't have the means to make it happen. They, they, they kind of sweetened the deal to come home. They didn't make any of anybody leave, but they gave them some benefits that would help them restart in the U S which mm-hmm. are typically not available. Yeah. So this family that's looking at how hard things are, some things that are different than they thought they were, mm-hmm. um, a super stress packed life that we were living at that time, uh, probably was personally living in burnout. Mm. Um, probably Mike was too, just because the needs were so great mm. and our resources were small and we were, burning the candle at both ends and here they are and they begin to ask that question can we make it and when that possibility for a sweeter pot to go home came they decided that was what they wanted to do and so it's one of those catch-22s that they were trying to help people be able to not stay if they weren't called but I don't know if they necessarily meant to catch people that are in that place that they're just not confident that they can do this thing. Um, It came with a lot of personal conflict between um, them and us, some things that were said that were not accurate, um, and a calling in of leadership that to question who we were and what we were doing. And so they're gone our hopes of having partners are gone in an instant. We waited so many years to have mm. them there with us mm. and then to get them on board. And now our own personal character is being called into question. And I, once again, what I loved, what I felt like I was made to do is being threatened. And um, so that was a really, really hard time of leaning on the Lord of remembering that it's not what anybody else thinks about me, that it's not whether or not I measure up to somebody else's standards. It's about who I am in him. And I think that was the beginning of something that would help me in the years to come when we were going to return Mm. to the U.S. ourselves. Yeah. Wow. I bet that was really challenging. How many kids did you all have at that point? At that point, we had... I think we had all four. I think the littlest was a baby during that. That did they? Did the family that came over? Did they have kids too? They also had kids. Uh, they had four kids was, as well. Was that a big hit to your to your kids? It or was. Were, or were they kind of like? We, it sounds terrible. Were they kind of like? I don't know if we really wanted them. If it, we didn't. It wasn't a or lot something. of ways. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of ways. At the bigger kids, we've got a kind of an age gap with our kids, mm-hmm. and so the bigger kids were kind of feeling a little bit of of needing to be 
the big brother that they may or may not, they, they were good sports, so yeah. they would have, but I don't think they felt like they had lost something that they had hoped for, but the, the younger kids more so, and us looking at at least having more kids than just ours there. Yeah. So, um, in some ways it was hard. I think the hardest thing for our kids is what would happen in our lives. If you can imagine, I don't think that I stepped over into clinical depression, but it, it wouldn't have been, if I wasn't experienced burnout before that, I certainly was when that, mm. when it all hit the fan. Mm. Um, and so we were barely hanging on and continuing to do the things that we do, which means that I was not the best mom for Caleb and Karis and Ben and Ty that I, that I should have been. Mm. So what is in that situation, the IMB support like, um, I have a lot of friends who have served uh, with the IMB mm-hmm. and although every story is unique, um, one thing I, commonly here mm-hmm. is a threat of burnout. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's an organizational issue. It might be. I don't work for the IMB. I don't answer <laughs> the IMB. But it's just something I hear yeah. a lot. And um, part of that is probably the nature of the work. Right. Of you want to develop community there, but at the same time, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's not the U.S., mm-hmm. what you've known your whole life. And as much as you might love and be willing to die for those people, mm-hmm. They, it's just different. They stretch you. They, they in some ways drain you. Right. And, and so, I mean, I guess I'm just asking what was, was that something you kept to yourself? Was it something you Mm -hmm. were sharing with like a mentor within the organization or the board or did you have help or Mm -hmm. what did that process look like for you? Um, it was definitely a complicated situation, especially because accusations had been made and that's not of a, like we didn't have any morality. Sure really things that, but just whether or not we were doing our jobs well Mm -hmm. and whether or not we were leading the people that we lead well was the bigger portion of the accusations that were made about us. Um, So in the beginning, we were talking to the organization in the manner it's set up. Got a great, we call it member care. They're Mm -hmm. supposed to come around you and things like burnout or, or other things help you navigate relational issues and um, family issues, things yeah. like that. I think it's a great system. One of the flaws in the system is the board always has the right to pull you from where you are. And so they can only help you to the extent that you're willing to let them know what's going, on. What's really going on. And you may be only willing to let them know what's going on to the level that you trust them to not pull you if this is Mm. where you feel like you're supposed to be. Mm. And so there's a whole lot on both sides that's creating a situation that's difficult for them to care for you well, I think. Yeah. Um, And for you to allow them to care for you well. So that's kind of of like sometimes honesty can lead to you being pulled. Exactly. Um, Man, that is really complex because I can see it from both sides of there are situations where people do need to be pulled. Sure. You know, um, but at the same time, you want people to feel the freedom to share what's really going on right? without the fear of just yeah. being pulled off the field. Exactly. So in the beginning, we did try. But then there again, a lot of these issues were, well, they said this mm. and you mm. say this. Mm. So it's not like we're going to come to any kind of conclusion that is you, you have to believe one or the other. Right. And we're all believers. So 
the assumption is neither of you is lying. And I, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to say that anybody was lying. I think sure. the perception of reality, when you're in culture shock, when mm. you're in crisis, mm. your perception of reality is skewed. And yeah. so um, that, I think some of that is what was some of what was causing issues. And there's just miscommunication, misunderstanding. And as that begins to snowball, that can create a situation where somebody thinks something is a way that maybe the other person doesn't think that it is. Sure. So that kind of began to break down when some of the reality of, okay, well, we're not going to send you anybody else for this period of time until you prove yourself. Um, oh gosh. So y'all have been looking forward to this mm-hmm. family and then are told no one else is coming right. for a while. How long was that time period? Uh, 12 months is oh. what they put on us um, before we could even start to look. Now mm. um, that it typically takes a long time to get somebody to answer a job request. So you not only are you losing your 12, you're losing so much more. Potentially another 12 or 24 months after that. Right. So um, that's that's hard. That was a big blow. And so we began to feel hurt mm-hmm. by the organization, not necessarily the organization, but different people who are really trying to do what's best for everybody. Yeah. And so no rocks thrown. Right. But we were feeling hurt by them and thankfully had a mentor who had been there from the first day we arrived on the field. They didn't live in our country, but we had a a connection with. And they over and over and over have been the biggest gift that we had Mm. on the field. Mm. So as you're experiencing burnout, what kind of started, I guess, the light started to shine through? What what began to kind of like, did it improve while you were still over there? Yes. um, Yes. it definitely did through, again, our mentors. There were people that were coming that just friends that are finding out what's going on mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. coming to just encourage us. And our sending church sent a team for the purpose of encouragement because in that moment, now we did um, M-task things. We did yep. evangelism and discipleship, and but they also poured into us during that time that they were there. They sent some good friends of ours mm-hmm. on that team. That was a big thing. That's an important note. You you still had that sending church. And Mm -hmm. how many years had y'all been? At that point, probably nine, I guess. So nine years, almost a decade after y'all's last Sunday Mm -hmm. at that church, they are still Mm -hmm. supporting you. Mm -hmm. That just shows the necessity for a church to have kind of like a line of support over to these missionaries who are overseas. Sorry to interrupt. I just thought that was interesting. No, that's great. Our nationals also came around us, Mm. Um, our national partners. We had built up the team that was doing the job we were. Some other missionaries had the opportunity to have a large Western team because they had multiple units. We didn't, um, thankfully, because we'd built nationals into that team. Mm. And so our nationals that were a part of that team that know some of what's going on just really encouraged us. We had one really close partner who chose to come and spend the night at our house praying all night long for us, for our house, for our work, for our kids, for anything that we could imagine. That's what we did. I think finally, like two or three o'clock in the morning, we said, Hey, I I think maybe (laughs) we could call it, (laughs) call it there. Um, but yeah, they just, they were that kind of Mm. resource. And those were the pieces that the Lord used to comfort us and to bring us from that place to a better place. 
Wow. So this is nine years in. Mm-hmm. So what did the next couple years entail that um, ended up bringing you guys right. back to the States? Um, I think in some ways that that probably that very incident is part of how we got to where we are. But um, Mike's health began to deteriorate. Mm. Some of it could probably be linked to stress. No if you want to put what stress on it, I don't, I don't know. Sure. Uh, overseas, you got lots of different kinds of stressors. You've got all those things that are just different. The mm-hmm. stress, there were um, ministry stresses like there are in any ministry job. Right. Um, but also just uh, what happens when things don't go well with colleagues. That's an, mm. another stressor on. And so I think that's a, a portion of what happened to his health, but just other things, random injuries that would keep him from doing what he was wanting to do, what God had called him to do. Yeah. And as we finished up that term, I think he may have moved back, back more towards burnout and mostly because of his health in our country. Healthcare was not good. Mm. So we were having, he was having to go, to the hospital, spend days in the hospital. Oh, wow. And, and this is not like going to CRMC, no, I would assume. not <laughs> at all. Yeah. This is so sketchy, so scary. At, at best, yes. Were we French speakers at that time? Yes, very good French speakers. But if mm. you just think about medical terms in English that we mm. don't understand, mm. so you add to it a level of this is not our first language, um, and, and these are they're dealing with medical situations that we may have not been exposed to in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another problem. And to add to it, there are really, um, they, the hierarchy of people is really important to West Africans and an underling would not even dare to ask a question of somebody that's over them. And so you as a patient aren't, it, it's not even your right to even really understand what they're doing. They come in, they put stuff in your IV. You don't know what it is. Yeah, they, that, is, that is sketchy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's scary because yeah. now you are, and it and also what plays into it is your level of trust. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. know that the medical care in that place is nowhere near what it is in the U.S. Right. And so do I trust them enough to not even know what they're doing? Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's, it's really scary. So. Yeah. That's a huge layer of stress that was weighing on him for sure. So as we get back and begin to work through medical things that he's dealing with, it became almost immediately obvious that he isn't going to be able to return to that location right now with what's going on. Mm. And so that Mm. was our initial understanding on the coming back is something is going to have to change. God is going to have to heal him. We're going to have to find a new treatment or a new medicine that is going to fix some mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as far as his health, either God's going to have to heal him, we're going to have to find a new medical treatment mm-hmm. or medicine that's going to work for him, or we're going to have to find a location that is going to work for him. Mm. So that was pretty f- pretty close up front on the table. This is what we're dealing with. God's healing. Yeah. And and our, our nationals had been as well. Mm-hmm. And... Because first thing he, on the table was probably not, we're moving right. back. 
Right. No. That was probably not on, even on the list of possibilities, uh, really. That was on my list of if this happens, we're not going to make it. I don't know. <laughs> it was it was not on any kind of good list for me. Sure. Um, and then we were also pursuing really hard. What are medical options in the U.S. that maybe we can pursue? Can mm. they find an answer to what's going on? Because we didn't have a diagnosis, really. Mm. Can we find and can we figure out what's going on and can we treat it mm. or can we long term treat it? Yeah. Um, so we spent nearly a year in pursuit of that. Mm. And we you accrue with our organization, you accrue stateside time. It's similar to military. So the longer you're deployed, the longer you have mm. to be in the States, which you're still working. You're just working differently and right. with different responsibilities. So these are people who would go to visit churches yes. and you know, yes, like these mission conferences type thing. Exactly. Church did. And you may have certain even field responsibilities. You may be communicating with mm. your team or you you're doing other things. Sure. So, yes, all of those type things. You've so got a certain like number a two of, month vacation. Not yeah. at all. So we had accrued up to a week. They also allow you to bank time. And all mm. along our time, we had been banking. So we had meant to spend six months in the U.S., but we had a six month we had a six month bank already mm. there. So that helped us to be able to make it those, those 12 months. And then we came to the place that we didn't, God had not yet healed Mike and we did not have a medical solution. Mm. So now we're back to, we're going to have to move to a location that he can, we can deal with these issues. Um, and just did not feel together the place that we could start over. We're middle-aged by this point. Um, so thinking of starting language learning all over again. Which is at least another year. Feels daunting, mm-hmm. if not impossible. Mm-hmm. We'd already learned two languages. Like, I, you know, surely there's a capacity for my brain. I'm not sure how much it holds. So <laughs> don't want to stretch that. So, yeah. And then here's the reality of here you are in the U.S. You have no job. You have no money. Mike is sick, so I couldn't say that he was uh, grieving, leaving, or being here as much. But I have seen my hopes and dreams hit the floor and shatter into a million pieces. Hmm. So how did that manifest itself? I was walking around like I was wearing... Um, you know, when you go to the dentist and they put that little um, x-ray thing on you, mm-hmm. that heavy-weighted vest mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or whatever, yeah. I felt like I was wearing that all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, were you still in country at this point, or were, we're you in back? You're in the States now. We're in okay. the U.S. So y'all are still on that 12-month we're, we're, we're living in a tiny church parsonage that we're supposed to be out of mm-hmm. by now. And not that they were pushing us, they weren't. Sure. It barely fit. It was probably 900 square feet, and we've got four children. For a family of six. Yeah, exactly. Uh, fortunately, one of our kids was living with uh, my in-laws because he would, had already moved back to go to college. Mm. So that just he just stayed because there was no place to put him. Right. So just five of us living there, but still totally crammed. Mm. We had no car, no job, no money <laughs> at the point when we had to resign because that's where we came to. We couldn't pass medical to go back to where we were, and we weren't willing to move to another location 
where there was a job opening. And so there's no other options but to resign. And um, we were not in agreement with one another on what we were going to do. Um, so there was a lot of that on the table. Hmm. What are we going to do with these children? They, we were homeschooling still, so they have to be educated or we have to do something with them. Yeah. But all of a sudden, if we don't get a job, we are about to be in trouble. Mm. So that's kind of where we were. Um, I was not dealing with any of that well. Sure. And Mike's trying to survive. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, it was. it's a real dark, dark period. And so was this here in... Y'all were, but you're into Baxter again, right back where I started. Full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, when did you come to the river? How many years later was that? It was in that period. Mm -hmm. um, As I began my initial job search, there was a couple of churches looking for somebody. Sure. Applied at both. Um, Straight up had already told, this is where I was in my thinking. I'd already told Chick-fil-A that if I had to clean the toilets, if they would give me a job, I would do that. And so I was, I was nearly on with them because Mm -hmm. they were willing to at least throw us a bone. Um, and then these two churches started that process. I thought, well, I'll pause before I tell Chick-fil-A that I'll, I really, I mean, anyway, it's a great job. I love Chick-fil-A. They're closed on Sundays. So it seemed like a good idea. I don't mean any negative thing there at all. Um, it just... Um, it also probably wasn't really in your wheelhouse of stuff that you felt like God had designed I've you never, for, I yeah, think. I've, I've never made a chicken sandwich, so I um, I don't know what I would have done there. But yeah, it wasn't what I was necessarily passionate or skilled at. Mm. And um, so when I these two churches, opportunities came up. Uh, we started talking. I started talking to them. Mike's still trying to find something and... The river said graciously, um, we would love to have you for whatever mm. you're able to do Sure, for the length of time that you're able to do it. And so I initially said, I can't because I felt we love the river mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. they, we'd been in and out of the river through our time overseas of had had family here mm. as part of the early, I don't know if they were there at launch, but I think they were. Yeah. And so we had been in and out of the river. I love the river and I didn't want to do them a disservice. Mm. And I was not much good to anybody at that time. And we were not stable. Mm. Um, and so I had, when I, we, when I was offered the job, I initially said, no, I don't think I'm what you need. And your original job is not what you're no, doing now as no, missions director. No, it was not. It was answering phones and the door and whatever else needed to happen. Mm. So... I initially said no, and TJ said, I really want you to pray about it because I think that you are the right one. Mm. And so I came back, and I was just open with him. I said, here's the reasons I don't think I'm the one. because It's not because I don't want to do this. I would love to help the river advance whatever they're doing for whatever length I can, but I don't think I'm even good enough to, mm. to be here. I'm not what you need. And he convinced me to pray about it some more. I did and felt at least right about starting. Hmm. How many years ago was that? That was four years ago. So 2019. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. so now you're missions director. Now I'm missions director. Yes. Yeah. So what do you, what does that look like for you now? What do you do? 
Yeah. Um, the Lord has been gracious to allow that spot for me to be able to still get to go, even if short term. Mm. Um, but also strategize yeah. about how can we continue to reach the nations? How can we reach the people here? How can we reach the U.S.? Um, what a blessing that is to be able to look at the, our 555 five vision. I don't know how many fives that was. May have been too many. It's supposed um, to be four. Fives. It was supposed <laughs> to be four fives. But how can we reach locally in the state, in the nation, and in the nations mm-hmm. Um, which is something that is a larger part of what I, I have been called to. Right. And then also, if I can't go full time and be on the field, how can I multiply that work in mm. ways I never would have been able to if I was the one doing? Um, so that's been, that's a huge part of what I do. Mm-hmm. So mobilizing people to go short, short term, midterm, long term. Um, hopefully being a challenger and an encourager in the lives of people to consider. I think a lot of people maybe initially don't go because nobody's ever suggested that that was even in the realm of possibility or right. I think that you should, or by the way, I'm, I'm not saying God, and I'm not saying Jesus says that we all have to go all to the nations, but it is a big part of things he says to us is to go and preach the gospel uh, all the way to the ends of the earth. So that would be in all of the places here and and there. And there are people that are called to go, and mm-hmm. how can they mm-hmm. come to the realization of that and be empowered? So some of what I get to do. I was um, studying the book of Acts early a couple weeks ago for something we were doing at the gathering. Mm-hmm. And there's a helpful helpful like survey book mm-hmm. over the New Testament um, called The Cross, the Cradle, and the Crown by Andrew Kostenberger. And he says in that book that this... This is a paraphrase, mm-hmm. but the story of the cross is not complete until it goes from Jerusalem to the nations. Yeah, and so there, the implication of that is that there's not a category of Christian in the New Testament that doesn't care about the nations. Mm-hmm. And so, while sure, not every single person is going to get on a plane and move their mm-hmm. whole family to wherever, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they get a pass on right. not caring about right. it. Everyone is called to do something, and there are varying degrees of what that something is, yeah. but not doing something is not an option. Exactly. Um, and so that's one thing I really appreciate about what you do is mm. it is that strategy of how do we leverage mm. the gift of what the what we have here at the river because mm-hmm. it's a large church with mm-hmm. lots of resources yeah. and that we could funnel to whatever. Exactly. But it's a lot about and almost all about how can we leverage this for the growth of the kingdom of mm-hmm. God not just within our own walls, right. but even more importantly, outside of our walls in the nations. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that strategy side is really cool. And yeah. especially for co- college students, young oh, adults, yeah. I mean, it's huge because yeah. you've got your whole life ahead of you. Right. And to at least begin thinking as a global Christian right. and not just I'm going to sit in a pew or right. a chair on Sunday mornings and that's going to be my Christian experience, but right. to recognize there's so much more out there. Right. There's so much more to what God can do in and through you to where you're not just a consumer in mm-hmm. this. You're not designed to be a consumer mm-hmm. in this, but you're someone who is investing eternally in other people's lives locally mm-hmm. through, you know, your normal conversations and your spheres of life, mm-hmm. but also financially and people who go or even going yourself mm-hmm. short term 
longer term or career Mm -hmm. to serve overseas um, with the IMB or another Mm -hmm. organization or something. And to have, I just really appreciate that we have someone on our staff who's Mm -hmm. in the seat that you're in, who has lived this Mm. and recognizes the need of what's out there and that we're not doing missionary tourism where we just go and look at cool sites, but there is a strategy behind what we are trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't miss the mark sometimes or try something and it not work, but that the, the goal is clear that Mm -hmm. we're trying to reach people with the gospel and plant churches. And if it does not fall under that, Mm -hmm. then it's not really something that we focus on. Right. And so I think that's great. What would you say for a college student or or young adult that that's crossed their mind Mm -hmm. that maybe missions is, is the route for them like international missions? Right. How do they begin even processing that? Because it's a huge, that's a, I mean, it's just like you said earlier, the spot of where they are now mm-hmm. in business class at Tennessee mm-hmm. Tech to being overseas is a massive, mm-hmm. and it is a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is like, how do you even start thinking and praying about, mm-hmm. you know, this thing? Yeah, I think... One of the things is uh, to be aware that I think what you just said was really important to what we're talking about now, and that's that they're at a pivotal moment in their life, and Mm. there's a lot of entanglements that will come just naturally in in a such a brief yes time yes that are not there right now, Mm -hmm. and so um, what what I would just say what I would hope they wouldn't do is say, I'll think about that later. Right. First I want to do, and you get your list. I'm not saying that God's not calling you to do those things. And maybe, maybe that is the way the list is supposed to go, but just be cognizant that you are at a very special time in life that you will never be at the same place again. And so, um, really pray it through. Don't, don't just shove it. Don't just shelf it Mm -hmm. of, I'll okay, worry about as this soon later. as I do these this mm-hmm. list of things, I will figure I will pick that piece back up. Um, that would be one of the things I think. But um, I have been for the rest of my life changed when I began to look and I we did this in training. I don't know what caused me to do it. But when I read scripture, it's been part of my rhythm to work through it in some method every year, whether Mm -hmm. that's the new Testament or whether it's the entire Bible or whatever, Mm -hmm. but whatever piece I'm trying to do to see the emphasis on the nations that's there as much in the old Testament, even as the new, but to see those things in God's plan and to understand that that really is his plan. And if it is, I've got a part to play in that. Just like you said, Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. just say, well, that's not for me or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not an option. Mm -hmm. And so to begin to figure out, to flesh out in your when you're reading the the Bible, what is this? So, what does that say to me about what is the Spirit saying in my life that I'm supposed to do about that? Being really mindful of that, but I would say also be curious and mm-hmm. begin to explore some of those things. Talk to people who are who have gone yeah long term or on shorter things that mm-hmm. you might consider. Um, begin to explore what are the options as far as organizations go? What choices do I have? What are the things I can do? Because there's everything from a five to 10 day trip to 
a summer or a semester mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a couple of years, all kinds of options in the U.S. overseas. In, Especially through that. the IMB. Because exactly. you've got short-term trips of mm-hmm. you know a week or two. Mm-hmm. You've got the NEMI teams, mm-hmm. which is the summer uh, program that mm-hmm. students can do. Um, so it's like two months. Yeah. And then you've got journeymen, which mm-hmm. is two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that, if I'm thinking, you know, I'm 18, mm-hmm. 19, I'm thinking about missions, kind of gets my feet wet to right. see what it's like right. before we get to the career portion. Exactly. Especially when you start talking Nehemiah teams and journeymen. Yep. In two months, you get a little taste of what it's like, mm-hmm. not fully. Right. Because in the grand scheme of things, two months is still fairly sure. short term. Sure. But especially when you get to journeymen, which is post-college right. or kind of like out of that, you know, 18 right. to 22 mm-hmm. time frame, um, that's two years right. somewhere. Right. And I mean, I would say if you're still feeling called after that. Oh yeah. It is your, it is what you're supposed to do. I think one of the things that both of those journeymen, maybe more so than Nehemiah teams, but even those, it helps you get past that honeymoon phase because yeah. anywhere you go, it's exciting. It's new. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's it's all these things, but you really do have to get past that place to be able to flesh out. Okay, yeah, it is that, but it is also these other things. It is hard. Yeah. It is. It's um. It's different. It's uncomfortable, mm. and some of that I don't like. So I think and it's helpful to know those things because it yeah. sets. That's why I asked you the question about um. What's something you just that God really had to help you through and mm. sustain you through? Because, I mean, if we're honest, a lot of times when we talk about overseas missions, it is glamorized. Mm-hmm. And part of that's because a lot of people's experience with it is only for a week. Right. And so they spend four days doing work and one fun day, and then they hop on a plane and come back home. And that is not a realistic representation mm-hmm. of what it looks like to live mm-hmm. and breathe in that city for, you know, the inevitable future. Right. Um, and so doing something like Nehemiah Teams and Journeymen sets a much more realistic mm-hmm. expectation of what this is like, mm-hmm. that it's, you're not, one of my friends who served in the IMB for a long time put it this way, like you're going to do missions, yes, but you're going to live in that city. Yeah. That it will be your home. Exactly. And so it's not like you're going there on an extended mm-hmm. vacation where mm-hmm. you do some mission mm-hmm. work. It's just like you're going and living there mm-hmm. and you've got a ministry that you like lead and you're reaching people and you're planning churches, but it's your job. Like that's, you just live there. Um, So what would you, maybe this would be a good thing to kind of start wrapping it up with. Why should a college student even think about this? Because this is for some of us, not even on our radar. Gotcha. That this is something that we should think about. Um, And I've got my own thoughts on that, Mm. but I would love to hear from you. You know, if you've got a 20 year old person, whose you know, plan is I'm going to go be an engineer mm. after college or I'm going to go be a nurse or a school teacher, and nothing is wrong with that. Sure. But why is it so important for us to have a more global vision for what God has called us to than just I'm going to go fulfill the American dream of making money and having a nice house? Sure. Oh, I think that's got a lot of possible answers, mm-hmm. and I um, think you could go a lot of directions. Obviously, I feel like Scripture calls us to be global minded. And I don't know that we can truly do that um, without some experience in whatever minor way that is. Um, So I think that's part of that aspect of truly understanding the nations. You almost need to experience some things. Um, I think that 
anybody who goes has a significant amount of things in their own selves that mm. are that are changed mm. while they're there. I think if you don't, you're either incredibly proud or maybe just not participating in reality. Um, but you learn things about yourself. You learn things about other people. You learn things, I think, typically even about God and what he can mm. and will do in our lives. And that you just have to, you just have to know, you just have to experience to know. Um, but it was one of the hard things about coming back for me. You asked about me being worried about taking my kids. Yeah. Um, I would say there was some minor worry about taking them. I had a whole lot more worry about bringing them back to the U.S. that I was not even sure about anymore after 12 years gone. Um, mm. So there's just a part of living life on mission that is so different than any other experience that you're going to have here that I find to be positive um, of, of the ways that you learn to depend on God, that you learn to serve others, that you understand in a fresh way more about, I mean, if we're all the body of Christ and the only part of the body I know is this limited part that I've been exposed mm -hmm. to until now, then I don't understand the fullness of the body of Christ. And so that's, I think some of it, but, um, yeah, just, I guess a lot of things are swirling in my brain right now about the why, but I can't express, I don't want to romanticize what we did or, uh, make it like it was some kind of utopia. It certainly wasn't. Um, there were really bad things that my kids were exposed to on the field as well. But, um, overall it was an absolute joy to serve when we would come back and people would say, you know, they kind of treat military and missionaries similarly. Thank mm. you for serving or mm. whatever. We know you've sacrificed mm. to do that. I don't want to negate that as reality. We did sacrifice to go, yeah. but, um, we were so over and abundantly blessed mm for what we were by what we were able to do and the experiences we were able to have that it would be hard some in some respects to consider a sacrifice mm. and the loss of that is huge so mm. to me it's a no brainer like why <laughs> would you not yeah. do this yeah yeah i would just say there's a there's a reason i started with the quote i did mm. from spurgeon because i think about that quote a lot mm. and um Sure, maybe if you're listening, you think that was too harsh. I don't really care mm. because it's the reality. Yeah. And there are people that will die without hearing the yeah. gospel. And we get to be a part of fixing that. Mm -hmm. And we don't save people. Mm -hmm. You didn't save anyone. Mm -mm. I've never saved anybody. Mm -mm. But just the fact that we get the opportunity to share that message with people who have never heard it before. Yeah. Whether that is the person sitting in the back of the classroom at Tennessee Tech or sitting in the cafeteria by themselves mm -hmm. or your coworker at mm -hmm. Raising Cane's, definitely not at Chick-fil-A because everyone at Chick-fil-A is <laughs> <in it. laughs> But uh, sometimes the unreached looks like those people. Mm. Um, but in a very real sense, 
the mass amount of unreached necessitates, I think, every person to at least consider, mm-hmm. am I called to do mm-hmm. this? Um, and what does my place in this look like? Yeah. And for some people, um, like for me, I think at least for right now, a huge part of my place in that is preparing people to be sent mm-hmm. to those places. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that'll change mm-hmm. in the future. I don't know. We're, of course, open to that. And I think that's how every Christian should approach it yeah. is with just an open hand and saying, oh, Lord, if do you want us here or mm-hmm. there or, you know, overseas or mm-hmm. and just being willing because the mission that we're on is too great not to approach it yeah. open handed. When you hear about the statistics about how many people and sometimes there's it's easy to overinflate for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, if we've got eight billion people on the earth, the number of people who have never heard and unless something changes, we'll never hear mm-hmm. is unacceptable, whatever that is. Especially considering the technology mm-hmm. we have now to reach people, mm-hmm. like an airplane. Yes. <laughs> you know? I mean, even 200 years ago, 100 yeah. years ago. I'm talking about getting going, on a boat. Yeah, you're getting on a and boat and you're your, not coming back. Your stuff is <laughs> packed is, in your coffin. That is, yeah, that is it. And um, so we have so much accessibility mm-hmm. now through the age of the internet, through modern transportation. Um, Yeah, there's no reason for that, for us not to go. Um, So I just encourage you, uh, if you're listening to this and you've made it two hours in, first off, thank you. Um, But (laughs) Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Secondly, what is is your next step? Maybe it's just to begin praying and asking God, what, what is it you would like me to do? Or maybe you know he's calling you to do something and you're not sure how to navigate that, come talk to me or Heather. We're Mm -hmm. both on staff here at the River in Cookville. And maybe you're listening to this and you're not even in the Cookville area. You can still reach out to us and all that stuff is in the show notes. And just thank you, Heather. Thanks for coming on and taking this time. And we really appreciate you. Thanks so much. Uh, It's been great. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate you.